and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. As the world collectively mourns the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, underneath, It trembles because the world has just lost one of its premier remaining stabilizing figures. Today on Viewpoint, we take a look at not only the passing of the queen, but the passing of the baton. The passing of the baton to Prince Charles, who now at 73 years of age takes on the role as King of England and leader of over 2 billion people across the planet in the greater British Empire, shall we say. And so today on Viewpoint, we take a look not only at the Queen, but we take a look at her eldest son, Prince Charles. So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's conversation with conviction, talk that transforms, as always, And today you're going to hear some things that perhaps you have never heard. You're going to be caused to think deeply, to probe your innermost thoughts concerning the prince that was to come. Yes, you heard the words correctly. The prince that was to come. No prince had waited so long to take on the monarchy, to take on his royal privilege as Prince Charles. But now he has. He's declared his loyalty to the throne, his loyalty to the peoples of the Commonwealth of Britain. But where where do his loyalties really lie? We're going to explore some of those loyalties here today on Viewpoint because they are loyalties that were not shared by the Queen. In fact, not only were they loyalties not shared by the Queen, but his very life choices were not shared by the Queen. She did not support some of those life choices, which actually defied the laws of the British Empire and of England itself, and the Church of England. He thumbed his nose at the Church of England and the law of God. So today on Viewpoint, we take a look at all of these things, and I again, I'm so glad that you've joined us. It seems that there is no end to the changes that we have to look at in order to keep ourselves, shall we say, steadied as we move forward in our trust and our faith in the Lord. Because that's the real issue, isn't it? Whether the queen passes or lives, whether a new prince becomes king, is not really ultimately the issue. The real issue is what am I going to do in the face of these developments which could be not only earth-changing, but earth-shattering. 
That's the real question hovering over us here today on Viewpoint. As we say regularly here on the program, Viewpoint determines destiny. So our viewpoint concerning all of these issues has a sense of determining the destiny of our own lives and sometimes that of others. So hang in there today. Keep your seatbelts anchored as we move forward, looking at the queen, the passing of the queen, and the advancement of a new king. Well, this, I think, one of the best analyses, and this may come as a surprise. You hear me quoting the Russian Times frequently, and there's a reason for that. Not because I'm an accolade of Russia, or have any particular favor toward Russia, per se. No, it's not that at all. It's that exposing myself to a vast array of news sources and comments, I find oftentimes that some of the most profound and applicable analyses can be obtained from the Russian Times. Not Pravda. Pravda is the arm of the ancient, the, the former Soviet Union. We're talking about the Russian Times. So here's the headline. Queen Elizabeth II was the last vestige of Britain's greatness. The last vestige of Britain's greatness. A true stateswoman who incarnated qualities that are rapidly vanishing from the world stage and particularly in the West. Wow. She was a true stateswoman who incarnated, in other words, expressed through her life, qualities that are rapidly vanishing from the world stage, particularly in the West. And may I just express at this moment, rapidly vanishing even through her own son, Prince Charles. He is one of the carriers of the deterioration of the principles, the values that once guided, at least ceremonially guided, the British Empire. And so we take a look at this matter of the passing of the Queen. One of the West's last remaining leaders who placed duty and honor in service of her country and all of its citizens above anything else. She quietly devoted her entire life to it. Her service during World War II as a driver and mechanic with the rank of second subaltern and her private tuition in constitutional history by the vice provost of Eton College was all in the royal tradition of her predecessors. An amazing person, an utterly amazing person who served as the monarch of the British Empire for 70 years, 70 years. It's hard to imagine. It really is hard to imagine someone who would reign that long and throughout that reign Be honored at the end. As one who had been an anchor 
for her country, for the British Empire, for the Commonwealth, and for the world. But she's passed. She survived. What is it? 14 or 16 presidents of the United States. Her reign was almost beyond imagination. A report came from the World Tribune today that her faith was absolutely key and central. Robert Hardman, a British journalist, wrote several biographies of Elizabeth, and he said she was probably the one person in British national life the one lay person in public life who was internally confident discussing her faith. Wow. That's quite something. In Britain, that is. We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. For people of faith, the last few years have been particularly hard, says this comment from the World Tribune today. With unprecedented restrictions and accessing the comfort and reassurance of public worship. For many, it's been a time of anxiety, of grief, and of weariness. Yet the gospel brought hope, as it has done through the ages, and the church has adapted and continued its ministry, often in new ways. Addressing Britain and the world on Christmas Day in 2016, Queen Elizabeth declared her faith openly. She said billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them because Christ's example helps me see the value of doing small things with great love. Whoever does them and whatever whatever they themselves believe. So, according to this writer, her faith is the real cornerstone of her life. She isn't showy about it. It helps guide her really every day, said biographer Sally Biddle Smith to the Washington Times. And heaven only knows it has helped her endure any number of setbacks that have occurred during her life. Wow, the things that occurred during her life. The Queen had to navigate the aftermath of the fatal August 1997 automobile crash that took the life of Princess Diana, Princess of Wales, who remained a part of the family after her divorce from Prince Charles and was the mother of the Queen's grandsons, Princess William, now first in line to the throne, after Charles, that is, and Harry. And then nearly a quarter century later, she lost her own husband. She often said that her face saw her through such times of difficulty and tragedy. So, we get a little bit of insight concerning Elizabeth. Now, we're involved, or the UK is involved in Operation London Bridge. 
10 days of mourning and the pomp to follow the queen's death and the raising up of a new monarch there in Britain. King Charles III, age 73, ascends as the oldest British monarch to take the throne. King Charles III, in his first address, vowed lifelong service Say, to carry on Queen Elizabeth's lifelong service. As Britain entered a new age under a new sovereign, around the world the Queen's exceptional reign was commemorated, celebrated, and debated, and rightly so. But now Charles takes the throne in an era of uncertainty for both his country and the monarchy itself. He spoke of profound sorrow over the death of his mother, calling her an inspiration. Well, indeed, she was an inspiration, but I don't think things were always that wonderful between Prince Charles and his mother, because he made decisions concerning his life that were absolutely unmitigatingly opposed to his mother and her principles and her faith. Yet, Prince Charles said in a nine-and-a-half-minute address today, as the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I, too, now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And now we move. We see the prince as king beginning to move. And that's why we want to talk here on Viewpoint today. Yes, we want to give adequate and proper credit to the queen. An amazing person. As the Russian Times says, there'll never be another one. Never be another person like that in the world. But there is one coming who won't look like Queen Elizabeth, will come in his own name and will take lordship over the world. Is that related somehow to the Queen's death? Will the world now experience a new movement issuing out of Britain that will usher in the final events of world history. Many are saying that and have been saying that for a very long time. I have in my hands two documents, each about 25 to 30 pages long, contending just that and have been contending that for a very long period of time. That somehow related to the prince that has now become king, will be tangled the final events of world history and possibly the personages. But before we get to that, King Charles has named Prince William and Kate the Prince and Princesses of Wales. He bestowed on them today, on his eldest son William and daughter-in-law Kate, the titles of Prince and Princess of Wales 
which he and his late wife Diana previously held. As you know, Diana was a hugely popular figure who was under constant media scrutiny from her wedding onwards and was the subject of a massive outpouring of grief when she died at the age of 36 in a car crash in 1997, five years after she and Charles separated. Now we start to get into some of the details. Delivering his first speech to the nation since the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth, yesterday, Charles said he was proud to make his heir, William the Prince of Wales, a title that Charles had held since 1958. With Catherine or Kate beside him, our new prince and princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the center ground where vital help can be given. William and Kate, both 40, have taken on the central roles within the royal family in recent years, appearing in public, increasingly taking their kids with them. And so, that was the first real act other than a speech. But then, according to Israel National News, King Charles III may be considering changing his name. He's reportedly considering the possibility of a name change to distance himself from Great Britain's controversial kings, Charles I and Charles II. A source told the London Times back in 2005 that then Prince Charles was considering avoiding the name Charles when he became king due to both previous kings' reigns being tinged with so much sadness. So they said he was considering choosing the name King George. Well, King Charles I had a strained relationship with the English Parliament that eventually led to a civil war and his own execution. His royal army was defeated by Oliver Cromwell's parliamentarians, which led to the English Civil War and his execution in 1649. His son, Charles II, was forced into exile for almost 10 years before ascending the throne in 1660, but he was also a controversial ruler who dissolved Parliament in 1679 until his death in 1685. He was considered a hedonist and nicknamed the Merry Monarch for leading a court full of adultery and gambling and supposedly the father of over 14 illegitimate children. But then somebody else said, well, Charles III is not considering a name change. Is he or isn't he? Maybe it's not even relevant. But these are all interesting pieces of a much bigger puzzle that is unfolding before us. And now we begin to take a look at that puzzle. In my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter is a chapter called Savior Politics and the Messiah Factor. Savior Politics and the Messiah Factor. What you're about to hear may be for the first time, but here it is. 
Messianic fever and fervor are not receding, but rather rising worldwide, as clouds of global destruction hang ominously over the peoples and nations of our planet. None less than the Prince of Wales has been heralded, by the way, that's Prince Charles, has been heralded as the winged hero, quote, saving the world, unquote. A giant bronze statue of Prince Charles became the centerpiece of an Amazon town. The immortalizing statue clothed the prince in a loincloth, and he sported angelic wings. Although the Prince of Wales is destined by tradition to become defender of the faith, he had already expressed his intentions to broaden the title to defender of faiths, plural. Thus ingratiating himself as the global messianic figure for all religious persuasions. The inscription on the statue in Brazil honoring the winged prince reads, Savior of the world. In response to which the prince remarked that he was amazed and deeply touched. In fact, he said and made clear he believes, quote, My duty is to save the world. I was born for a purpose, unquote. Do I need to read that again to you? In response to the massive statue, bronze statue, the winged hero saving the world, Prince Charles, the one who has just been elevated to the monarchy of the British Empire, said, My duty is to save the world. I was born for a purpose. Now, we're all born for a purpose. You and I are born for a purpose, and I hope you realize that. And if you haven't yet figured out your purpose, you might talk to the Lord about that, because we need to have a purpose, and we need to make that purpose known. But we need to understand that our purpose is somehow linked to the broader kingdom of God, because we are told by Jesus himself we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all the other things will be added unto us. Yet we find no mention of Prince Charles, now King Charles, pursuing God in any particular way other than formally as part of the Church of England. But that brings us to another issue, the Church of England. The Church of England is Anglican. And for hundreds of years, the Church of England embraced the words of Jesus and all the scriptures concerning divorce and remarriage. Did you know that? 500 years they embraced the words of scripture, Jesus saying, Whoever divorces their spouse causes them to commit adultery, and whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery. The words in the Old Testament that God says, I hate putting away or I hate divorce. All of that, they embrace the truth that had always been embraced and understood in the church as a whole. But then came Prince Charles. 
he decided in his princely power and whim that he was not going to submit or surrender to the word, the will, and the ways of God or the Church of England, of which he was the head. And therefore, he proceeded to divorce Princess Diana. But that's not all he did. He had his eyes on someone else. Who, it would seem, is sort of parenthetical. But not parenthetical at all, because she now is the wife, consort of the King of England. A divorced spouse? Adulteress? Both she and Prince Charles, according to the scriptures, adulterers, with no sense of repentance, will be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. We take a look at the rebellion and defiance of Prince Charles, the former Prince of Wales and now King of England, and King of uh, the Monarch over the uh, British Commonwealth of Nations, about two billion people. Uh, we begin to see the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age. The baton has been passed from one who was a stabilizing cornerstone for the world, Queen Elizabeth II, to her son, who now embraces virtually everything that the modern world stands for. There is no moral anchor, no biblical anchor. In fact, even the laws of the the, uh, uh, British Empire and of England itself, could not restrain him. So he's lawless. So what happened? Before we talk about what happened, I want to make available to you my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. No, I'm not saying that Prince Charles, now King of England, England, is the Antichrist. Not saying that. We're talking about a spirit, friends. The spirit of Antichrist is lawless. He will be called the lawless one. He'll do what he wants sexually. He will embrace the religions of the world. He will think that he's going to save the world. 
And so in just a matter of one paragraph in my book, Antichrist in the chapter, Savior Politics and the Messiah Factor, it reveals that how Prince Charles, the winged hero saving the world, as declared by this bronze, massive bronze statue, represents the spirit of Antichrist. I didn't say he is Antichrist. I said he represents the spirit of Antichrist. And that spirit is growing. In fact, it's growing so greatly, so strong, this actually, shall we say, being set up as we speak in massive defiance of the spirit of Messiah. So, I wrote the book Antichrist first. How to identify the coming imposter. After that then came Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. Our first television interview will take place next week concerning that and a whole series of radio and television interviews around the country. Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. But I focus your attention right now on Antichrist. How to identify the coming imposter? A $22 book, yours for $22, on our website, saveus.org. The title of this particular chapter is called Savior Politics and the Messiah Factor. When you read that chapter you're going to be astonished. I mean astonished. The world is primed for a purported Savior. It's not only Islam or Israel or Christians looking for a Messiah or Savior, but it's the very spirit of globalism. The peoples of our planet are in desperate pursuit of a deliverer. Whether you want to call him a Messiah, a Savior, and so I have in this chapter a whole series of quotes from around the world, proving how the world is looking for a Savior. Here's one from 2018 from The Economist: Vladimir Putin is the world's Savior. So says a weekly primetime show on state television in Moscow. Hmm. And how about the 20 or so references about Barack Obama being the savior of the world and the Messiah? Did you know about those? You'll read about them just in this one chapter. So who is this Messiah? That's the big question. And that's what's going to test humankind shortly. The test is rising. The challenges for passing this test are increasing dramatically as we show in the book Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Antichrist, $22 on our website, saveus.org. Messiah, also $22 on our website, saveus.org. Either one of them, $22. Order it right there on the website. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 
or you can write to us. And if you write to us, if you get one of the books, it's $5 postage and handling. If you get both of them at the same time, it's $7 postage and handling for the two books combined. Very simple. Antichrist, how to identify the coming imposter, and Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. And what you will notice when you look at the covers of these two books is that they draw their inspiration from the very same background. And that's purposeful. That's purposeful because Messiah has to be discerned just as Antichrist has to be discerned in the context of our times. And so, we return to talk a little bit more about the winged savior of the world, Prince Charles, now King Charles. It's interesting, I have in my hands, as I said, two very long articles, opinion articles. One is titled, Prince Charles Proclaimed Savior of the World. The other, Prince William the Little Horn, described in Daniel and Revelation. Prince William, the article concerning Prince William is the Little Horn, takes the matter of Prince Charles much further. Are these two prominent as they are in the world, will they figure dramatically in this coming move toward Messiah? And if so, how will they figure? Are they just figureheads? Or are they more substantive than that? People have various opinions. And I want to caution you. I'm very careful here on the program today not to try to say with any degree of specificity or even suggest that either one of these individuals is the coming Antichrist. What is interesting about them, however, is that they come in the spirit of Antichrist. That's what we need to be aware of. So when I wrote the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, some people are going to be looking for, oh, uh, you know, I, I want to find out who he names. Didn't name anybody. Didn't name anybody. Why is that? The Bible doesn't name him, so why should I? What right do you and I have to name him? What we need to do is identify his characteristics, the nature of his life. How does it line up with the descriptions of Scripture from Jesus, from the prophet Daniel, from Paul, and so on? How does it line up? That's what we need to be looking at. So people get deceived, and they're always trying to figure out what does 666 mean? And they're trying to use gematria. And they've been able, through gematria, 
to basically conclude that 30 or 40, maybe 130 and 40 people throughout history were the Antichrist. That is a non-profitable experience. How do we discern that spirit? First of all, let me say this. The number 666, if nothing else can be concluded from that, is that it is a series three times the number six, or six reiterated three times. Why? Because six is the number closest to seven, which is the number that is used to describe God in his perfection. Therefore, the number six is the closest that humankind can get to that. When you multiply the number six three times, what you're actually doing is declaring, uh, you could say in a euphemistic fashion, uh, I'll let you decide what that means, in an uh, accentuated fashion, that this is not only mankind's closest thing to God, but it is the supre- Satan's supreme effort to become God. In other words, the closest thing that he can get to God is 666, and he has to do that through a man, because God has given dominion to a man in the earth. He hasn't given dominion to Lucifer in the earth. He gave dominion to humankind. That's why Satan had to begin his seduction right there in Genesis chapter 3, hath God said. So how did Prince Charles respond to that test? How did he respond to the test, hath God said? We'll talk about that when we get back from this break. It's quite interesting. Maybe you responded exactly the same way. But what does it mean? That's what we want to look at. What are the implications? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. There are three things, at least three things, that help us to understand why Prince Charles, now King Charles III, seems to operate in the spirit of Antichrist. 
Again, there is no, by saying the spirit of Antichrist, there should be no implication from that taken that we're somehow declaring he is the Antichrist. The word the is very specific. We're talking now about the spirit of Antichrist. So when we talk about a movement from a queen who has set a stage for her life and for the commonwealth of the British nations for 70 years as a God-fearing people, we now move to a man who reveals that he is not a God-fearing leader. But how does he do that? How does he make that manifest? Three principal ways. Number one, with regard to the test of hath God said, he responded, yes, but. That's the spirit of our age, isn't it? That's what's going on in the church as a whole. Yes, but. So God says, I hate divorce. Prince Charles said, I don't care. I'm going after the one I want to go after, even though I married Princess Diana and swore till death do us part before God and billions of witnesses. Didn't matter to him. His feelings demanded that he resist God's command. The lordship of feelings. Hath God said? Yes, but. Now, it was one thing for him to divorce Princess Diana. That was egregious enough. But then he remarried as a divorced man and remarried a woman who was divorced, as I recall, and therefore committed adultery twice over. So now... An unrepentant adulterer, from God's viewpoint, and, by the way, from the viewpoint of the Church of England for 500 years, of which he was the premier representative as defender of the faith, has been defied. He's lawless. One of the principal declaration, uh, descriptions of the uh, Antichrist spirit is lawlessness. Are we not seeing that throughout the world? Are we not seeing that in the church today, the very same spirit? That's why it may be hard for you to hear and respond to this, because you become part of the accepted role now that what Prince Charles did 20, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, in divorcing and remarrying, has become normative in the church. So what happened? The Church of England had to make a decision. Will we obey God, or will we change God's law in order to accommodate Prince Charles in his divorce and remarriage so that he could eventually become king? Otherwise, British law prevented him from becoming king. So what did the Church of England do? They changed 500 years of their 
conviction on the authority of the Word of God to accommodate the feelings of a powerful man. None of this was in the heart of the queen. She was caught. And I don't know exactly what her words were behind the scenes. I can imagine. Maybe you can imagine too. Because she was married till death do us part. She was a person of deep commitment and allegiance to her vows and promises. Apparently not Prince Charles. His allegiance is to his feelings. Just like the majority across our world, the Western world today. What happened as a result of the Church of England changing God's immutable law to accommodate Prince Charles? Would you like to know? The largest Protestant evangelical denomination in the world did exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. The largest Protestant evangelical denomination purporting actually to be charismatic as well did exactly the same thing to accommodate their pastors who wanted to divorce and remarry. Hmm. That's the spirit of our world. That's the spirit of our age on the near edge of the second coming, friends. Hath God said, yes, but. The next thing is that Prince Charles became a radical environmentalist. In becoming a radical environmentalist, he began to elevate the creature over the creator. The creator no longer had predominance at all. The concept of the fear of the Lord didn't even compute for Prince Charles. What he was afraid of was climate change. So he has become one of the premier voices and power brokers of the entire environmentalist movement that is not just about saving or protecting the environment. It's about elevating the environment over God's creation for whom the environment was created. The Apostle Paul warned about that in Romans chapter 1. That when they know God, they refuse to honor him as God. Therefore, their foolish minds and hearts become darkened, and they begin to elevate the creature over the creator. That's what... Mr. Gorbachev did. We did a whole program on that just a week or two ago. And Prince Charles has been part of that in a major, major way. These are not idle things, friends. These are very big. These are huge. They loom hugely for the world, not just for Britain but for the world. This was our mother country. And the children are following the mother. 
How can he be savior of the world when he can't even accept the authority of the creator? The creator is irrelevant to Prince Charles. So he's on an agenda. An alternative salvation message. So, in my book, Messiah, we have a whole chapter called The Environmental Deification. The Environmental Deification. That's what's happened. Prince Charles is deifying the environment, creation, while diminishing the deity of God, the Creator. That's serious. Very serious. Now, there's one other aspect we need to bring before you. Remember, there are three aspects. The third aspect is this. According to British tradition and law, the Prince of Wales was decreed defender of the faith. Now, what faith is that? Notice the definite article, the. Defender of the faith. What faith is that? The faith once delivered to the saints. The faith that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life that no man would come to the Father but through him. That's what Prince Charles was proclaimed by law to be the defender of the faith, which he admitted. But here's what he said. He said, when I become, I I believe that I am no longer just defender of the faith, but defender of the faiths. In other words, all faiths. What he was talking about was not religious freedom, friends. It was syncretism, the blending of all faiths as equally authoritative and acceptable. Can you imagine the effect of such a declaration being lived out in practical terms as Prince Charles now takes on his role as a supreme monarch over over 2 billion people in the expanded Commonwealth of the British nations? What the implications for the world will be. It's setting the stage, friends, for global salvation by alternative means. In other words, whatever you choose to believe will be your Savior, will be your Messiah. You could even be your Messiah because many people believe. In fact, Prince Charles himself was proclaimed Savior of the world. Well, if he's Savior of the world, somebody thinks he's Messiah. Vladimir Putin has been declared Savior of the world. Barack Obama was declared Savior of the world. Did you know that? That's why 
We're in this final moment, friends, of world history when the whole world is crying for some sort of a deliverer, some sort of a savior to give us hope, deliverance, however you want to frame it. And the bottom line issue is trust. You and I, as professing followers of Christ, must be on our guard because the seduction that is coming is so great. The luring is so great. Why do you think a fish bites the lure? Because they're seduced to do so. They didn't bite the lure because they knew there was a hook in it, and neither are the majority of people going to bite the spiritual lure even though there is a death edict in the hook. They're not going to do it. They're going after it because of the lure. And the lure is so great, so drawing, that Jesus said it's the principal problem of the end of the age. Remember, right there in Matthew chapter 24, two days before his crucifixion, his Disciples are with him on the Mount of Olives, and they ask him, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And the first thing Jesus says is, take heed that no man deceive you. So today, all we're saying is take heed that no man deceive you. And helping you to understand, helping us all to understand that not all that glitters is gold. Just because there's all these eulogies going on about the glory of Queen Elizabeth II, which are, in many respects, rightly delivered. What's not being seen is the lack of such glory with her son. These are serious times. Keep your eyes wide open. Get a copy of my book, Antichrist. Get a copy of my book, Messiah. They'll help you to see things, perhaps in ways you have not considered. $22 each on our website, saveus.org. And seriously, become a partner, friends. Do it today. Don't delay. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.